Talking industry, topical debate from the world of engineering, automation and manufacturing. A DFA Manufacturing Media Production. The Benefits of Digitalization in Manufacturing. Part 1. Brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Okay, and um, a very warm welcome, and it is a warm welcome, certainly here in London, um, to Talking Industry. Uh, my name is Andy Pye. I'm consultant editor of um, DFA Manufacturing Media, which publishes a range of print and online publications relevant to manufacturing and automation. Um, today's um, topic is uh, about the benefits of digitalization in manufacturing. And in a moment, I will introduce our excellent four speakers who are uh, appearing in front of us now. And uh, I do that in reverse order so that we finish with the first of our speakers and then they'll go um, naturally into their presentation. So uh, really we, we thought that what we would try to cover today would be how to further exploit the benefits of, of digital transformation, digitally transformative concepts to improve manufacturing efficiency and competitiveness. Um, and, you know, it, we all know, I think, that the, the UK is perhaps not in the fast lane when it comes to this. So uh, we don't, we're not here to beat up the UK. We're here to work out what the positives are that we can, we can point in their direction and perhaps how, how we can overcome some of the limitations of the way that they're not um, necessarily exploiting things like IAOT, Industry 4, Smart Factories, Digital Twinning, machine learning, analytics, artificial intelligence, lots and lots of opportunities. Um, now, as part of that activity, we've, um, we've just posted a poll and we're doing this so that we can find out perhaps how you yourselves are currently placed in terms of um, your progress on your digital journey. So, so we'd encourage you, if you would, to fill that in while we're talking and we'll refer back to it in due course so so please fill in the poll as soon as you can okay now we, we've broken up this um session into four parts um and so i'm i'm going to start i'm going in reverse order as i said so the the fourth part um will be um about supporting brownfield sites in how to capture data from existing um, legacy and uh, assets um, and that will be done by Tony Coglin who is managing director of Turk Banner um, he has a really interesting background and he's worked for many blue chip companies but has also served in the Royal Australian Navy as an avionics engineer so that's a very very wide background and he'll be covering that element before that um, um, a long-serving uh, panelist on our um, on our talking industry journey, which has uh, now reached two years. Um, and that is Mikhail Lefevre, who is product manager 
Europe for red line controls, and he's responsible for Industry 4.0 and industrial communications. And he's, he's going to talk specifically on how to avoid manually entered data so that uh, we can uh, ensure as much consistency and accuracy as possible. Our second speaker um, is Lena Vias, and she's man marketing manager of Priority Software, which is a company specializing in ERP systems for growing companies. So she's going to talk about how industry 4.0 can liaise with ERP um, in terms of opening the door to connectivity. And she'll also cover some aspects of mobile communications in field service and production floor environments. And uh, first but not least, I guess, um, and the guy who's got up at a ridiculous hour in the United States to be with us. I think he, uh, it's now about four o'clock in uh, it, where he is, and that's Thomas Sharp. And he's Vice President, Digitalization, Strategy and Innovation at NIDEC Motor. And his role is uh, a wide brief, actually, to develop, implement and execute transformational plans um, expanding into emerging and mature markets so so his focus is on structuring startups to get the maximum benefits out of um, the sort of technologies that that we're covering today and his topic will be transforming manufacturing into an integrated enterprise so without further ado i will now hand over to thomas and we'll look forward to his presentation well, thank you very much, Andy, and uh, good morning to everyone. I believe it's, uh, for most people, it's a morning. Uh, for me, it's a very early morning, as Andy said. I'm seven hours or six hours behind you here in the U.S. Um, live in the Midwest area uh, around St. Louis, Missouri. And besides my non-Midwestern accent, I'm actually from Switzerland. but spent the last 20 years here in the U.S. And I began my IoT journey with the NIDEC Motor Corporation back in 2016. At that time, I joined a specific business unit to really take advantage or to take a, a new product, a new solution and lead it to a commercialization. And it was a remote condition monitoring solution. 2018 then I moved over into a more corporate function where I focus today on technology and business innovation. Digitalization is a part of it. As Andy mentioned, um, NIDEC Motor Corporation, uh, we built motors and control systems uh, it, for any kind of application. It could start with your little uh, cell phone that vibrates. That's actually a NIDEC motor. It can go over to larger control systems. Uh, we we um, control pumps for utility water supply, wind tunnels for NASA. And uh, if you have an electric car, these kind of motors could also be uh, manufactured by NIDEC. So controls motors, anything that spins or moves, that's our business. And of course, IoT is extremely important to us too. What does it mean? Digital journey, um, what are the benefits? Uh, what is the value add for us, our partners and clients, and how do we integrate? And then of course, <clears throat> so many new things to consider, new technology, new business models, new processes, uh, new transparency, because with digitalization, you get insights, not always a comfortable feeling, new interactions with customers and partners, new actions to take, and these, these all need to be identified, defined, implemented, and adjusted as needed. Um, as we know, Internet of Things, keywords, is, is dynamic digitalization or a digital transformation. That is a journey. 
topic today, as Andy outlined, the benefits of digitalization manufacturing, it's a huge topic to discuss. And um, the individual speakers, I'm, I'm very happy and interested to see how it all goes together because it's, it's such a broad scope. My personal focus lies on transforming manufacturing into a more integrated enterprise. You can call that Smart Factory Plus. If I had to give it a title, it would be how to monetize your knowledge and, and why doesn't it always work? The key here is to focus on, in my opinion, on specific aspects. Low-hanging fruits, for example, start with smart maintenance. I believe we had a prior uh, webinar that was about asset management, predictive maintenance, and then additional points are smart product development, uh, smart inventory management, smart supply chain. There are so many smart things to do. So choose your priority, address your pain points, and why not starting with smart uh, maintenance? What are typical opportunities and challenges of IoT in this regard? There are technology and people aspects to consider, but overall, um, to start the journey, keep it simple. Start small, learn, adapt, and then scale. And as I mentioned before, digitalization is a journey. Because this is a panel discussion, I would like to hand it back to Andy. Um, I hope this was a good enough introduction to stimulate, um, or an introduction to stimulate the discussion. Um, is that okay with you, Andy? Yeah, the low-hanging fruit is the key thing, I think. Um, so I thought maybe we could do a quick survey of our panelists. What is your low-hanging fruit? What, what are your pain points? If you had to pick one or two, what would you choose? Um, so perhaps let's start with Tony. Uh, what, what would you identify as being the, the pain points that, that are most easily targeted with digital techniques? Yeah, I think the, the pain points vary from obviously customer to customer. Um, we see a lot of the pain points as the fact that their machines are, are so old. Um, so the pain, the pain point really sits where, how are they going to start the journey? A lot of people, if new machines come in, they've got like uh, space in the PLC, they've got you know, memory where they can integrate additional things. Um, and that's, that's where they get a lot of, conf that's where there's a lot of confusion in the, in the industry at end users. Um, they want to collect this data, but they just don't know how they're going to start the journey. And I think, you know, the pain point then is quite clear for them where they just concern that there might be a large cost, you know, um, and that's always puts people off, doesn't it? Um, and when I have a chat in a little while and discuss uh, the Turk Banner Solutions, you know, we're trying to get people on that journey at, at, a, at a very low cost and, you know, identify hopefully that there's a, there's a return on investment with not too much expenditure. Mm. So do you see that, you know, one of the, the fear factor is about how much cost and disruption the, um, the, the, the change in approach might cause? Yeah, yeah, I think... I think people are sorting to adapt now. They're, they're throwing a lot more resource at it. So particularly, it depends where, um, what type of end user you go to, how big maybe the projects team is or the continuous improvement team. Um, because, you know, a lot of, lot of information can be fed to them and they don't know if, if, if they're getting value of, out of the information they're, they're receiving. And it can be quite scary. I've, I've heard of some cust customers invest a lot of, 
time and um, money into projects and they're not seeing the full benefits out of, of it at the moment. Right. Mikhail, I know you have, um, uh, you know, an interest in legacy machines and collecting data. So, so perhaps that might be uh, one of the pain points that you've identified or, or, or and are there others as well, indeed? Yeah, I see two main big points. The first one is the adoption by the people. Uh, we always think digitization, we always think technical. Okay, are we able to get the data from this machine to send it to a, to a bigger machine or bigger computer? And at the end, we never think about the people who has to play or has to work with it every day. And what is what we see is the, adopt, the people adoption doesn't work if it, the, the new system is too far or too different than the, the system or the organization they used to play with during these long years before the digitalization uh, period. I mean, some process exists since uh, several decades in, in industries and with digitalization, people or project managers try to change all, all this organization because they want to use this, this software or this, this, um, this system. So everybody in the organization has to change its, its way to, to, to think and to organize their, their daily work. And that's, that's a big, big problem. If people doesn't adopt um, the, the new uh, digitization um, organization, it will never work. It will never work. It's, uh, it's the main, yeah, the main problem is the people. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission, and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Lena, what, what would you see as being the, the pain points with the customers that you deal with? Well, we see that a lot of companies realize that they need to invest in new technology. But when we go to the actual um, daily business, we see that a lot of these systems and new technologies are not integrated into a specific system. So you have separate systems with separate silos of, of data, which don't communicate uh, with each other. Uh, we, we have to enter data two or three times, where, which can also cause errors and, and, and you lose valuable time. So um, adopting the new technology is a good thing, but you need to make sure that it's connected and integrated into the entire environment. Yeah, I mean, that's quite interesting because Thomas said at the beginning, you know, start simple and scale up. So, so it, it, therefore, would it make sense to start in the silo and then think about how you can expand out subsequently? Who, who would like to comment on that? Um, yeah, so I will explain a little bit further. Uh, it's... Starting in a silo is not the, the right idea, I think, but it's finding a platform that is open enough that gives you a future-proof um, technology to make sure that you can um, change and, and integrate other systems time by time. Uh, of course, you don't need to change your entire systems and then the entire um, work in progress uh, at one day, but you need to start step by step doing it um, uh, like department per department, but you need to make sure that technology is open enough to connect all the new technologies inside and to make sure that you have one database to, uh, to manage. So, so how, do you, how do you cope with the need to have an overall vision before you start, which I think is probably what you're saying, to, um, on the other hand, starting simple 
and scaling up later to which kind of naturally comes back to you thomas i think doesn't it that's an excellent question and i honestly admit we struggle with that because the new technology new business models um, to, to draft up a vision where you want to end up on the digitalization journey is almost impossible. I guess you need to take it step by step to really say you want to identify pain points, right? Um, what is most important? How can you address that? Um, for digitalization, another point is at the end, you want to remain relevant in the, in the eyes of your partners and customers. That's absolutely paramount. And the technology is here. That is my belief, right? Digitalization refers to the use of uh, the change in digital um, support and processes and tasks, um, the strategic use of technologies, and there are multiple technologies here, the automation to really keep pace with the changing customer expectations and economic conditions. And I guess nowadays, customers uh, change much more often. Yeah, that's the whole transformation is much quicker than what we used to in the prior 20, 30 years, much faster pace. And that's in response to widespread advancement in the communication technologies. In, in, you, you mentioned it before, machine learning, it's the cloud computing. So that's all there. To, to try to visualize that where you wanna end up as a manufacturer specifically, which is usually a very traditional environment and, um, and, and encompass all these uh, new technologies, that's, that's a big challenge. And as Lena said, um, I believe to, to, you don't want to be too siloed because all these individual siloed programs, if you can't connect them, that's, that's a bigger issue. Um, if, if I were to look into in, in terms of start small, it's, it, it's about the ease of deployment, right? Uh, Mikael, you mentioned that before, uh, the people factor is quite important. Uh, if people don't buy in, you have resistance, passive, passive or active. And that's also my experience. You need to to get the people on board rather quickly and show them the benefits. And most people with digitalization, they fear they're gonna be replaced. That doesn't need to be the main criteria in, in the cost savings. It's really doing more with tools, yeah? And interoperability is key, scalable, reliable. And I guess, Tony, you mentioned it, retrofitability, uh, where we had an earlier discussion point of uh, machines are old. What can be done with the equipment that is still in use here? Yes, uh, definitely so. Um, we have um, we have some answers from our uh, digital journey. We also have some questions coming in, which is great. Um, right. Well, only ten percent of our audience are in the advanced category. Um, uh, Forty-eight <laughs> percent are at the beginning, and fourteen percent haven't started. Um, with uh, the remaining twenty-eight percent being sort of middle of the road. So. Do those figures surprise anybody? Um, let, let's just have a quick poll round. Uh, Tony, go on, kick off. Uh, no, no, to be honest. I was a little bit surprised how many people are at the advanced stage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, quite, it's quite common, um, you know. And I think people, I think, I don't know which panelists mentioned it, but I think people are quite, you know, advanced, they have got a lot of data available to them, which they just don't know how to integrate into it or how to put it into one, one viable solution yet. Thank you. Mikhail, does that surprise you at all from your experience? Doesn't surprise me. Uh, it's, it's more a good, uh, good indicator because we see the same. 
and this at the beginning level is new is new since uh, the COVID period before it was not started most of the time and uh, uh, we see uh, an evolution in the adoption of uh, digitization since three years yeah and Lena yes same with us um, doesn't surprise us um, COVID and, and also Brexit in the UK yeah, made sure that there was an acceleration in, in the adoption of digital technology. Um, and we do see a big difference. Um, when 10 years ago, um, almost most of ERP systems were sold to big companies, to big multinationals. And now we see a serious shift going to the small and, and, and medium companies. That, that's a really good point. And I think one, one that we should pick up on later is the uh, differentiation between adoption in large companies and adoption in the SME community. So, so that would be, that would be good. Um, Thomas, I don't know if you want to just comment quickly and I'll, I'll then take a couple of questions um, and then we'll move on to Lena's presentation. You're asking Andy in terms of adoption rates, is that a question? Yes, whether that's a surprise to you. Um, I mean, we sorry, we, we have a very international panel here. I've, I've uh, kind of noticed um, I'm, I'm the only Brit on it. So uh, so I'm very interested to get um, to get to get your international view as well. Um, I am not too surprised. Um, a little bit on the high side, I would say, in, in uh, what I did not expect uh, in advanced progress. Um, when I look into specifically maintenance environment, uh, services provided through remote monitoring diagnostics, I would say most companies are at the very, very early stage to really um, use the benefits. Uh, so that, that's manufacturing is a very traditional environment and providing services in the MRO environment, so maintenance, repair, overhaul. This is at a very, very early stage. So not really surprised, a little bit high on the advanced stage. That's otherwise it fits my expectation. Excellent. Well, well, uh, we have we, we have a comment rather than a question from, from Dean, who says that he, he suspects, and how can we know, that the 10% of advanced may be tech suppliers and consultants and... Uh, the question assumed it was only answered by end users, but and that is a relative relevant point because we do have a very diverse um, audience, always from from um, you know experts down to, to beginners um, and students as well, no doubt. So um, it can only be a guide ever, I, I guess. And so uh, so I, I take his point on that, and and Martin saying you know um, if we could just answer have end users answer it that would be a very good poll so maybe that's an action point that we'll take away and we'll we'll work on out after the meeting and report back which we can do with uh, you know a wider audience than we have on the call actually so it'd be quite useful information and we can we can report that in our publications as well um uh now it was uh, Prasad who, who agrees with Thomas that, that predictive maintenance is one of the low hanging fruits. Um, and I'm sure we, we all agree with that. We've done individual sessions on predictive maintenance and no doubt we'll do more. Um, he also refers to digital dashboards and the automation of production and OEE reporting as being another one. Uh, anybody want to comment on that as, um, as uh, a worthwhile contribution. Anybody's got a hand up? 
No, okay. Well, we'll. Oh, yeah, go on then, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. just in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's uh, yeah, that's true. That's the longest fruits, and that's uh, the first uh, request we get from um, from the customers when we go on the field. Uh, it's smart industry, um, smart maintenance or maintenance 4.0 and uh, and uh, production uh, performance. That's always uh, the first question we have. Yeah. Uh, Ibuka says, uh, in the context of, of, well, he calls, he or she calls obsolete machines um, and points out that very often um, these are located in remote locations with poor signal availability and also the reluctance of people willing to adopt new technologies. So there's kind of two points there. So let's have a quick run round on that. Um, Tony, um, people not willing to adopt new technologies, is that a problem? Uh, no, I think people will. And I think it's just about educating them to how easy it is, um, you know, and that was one thing I was going to discuss. And I, I agree with um, Abuka, wasn't it, who made that comment. Um, if the infrastructure is not in place, people think, well, do you know what? It's, it's a lot of money to upgrade an old machine. Um, but again, if you put the infrastructure in, it could be future-proof and when a new machine comes in. So you've got to, you've got to balance it that way. And one thing, you know, part of my um, chat will be the, the capturing of data in these remote locations. You know, one thing we, we concentrate at Turk Banner on is, you know, wireless IO. And that's a, it's a very simplistic way of getting people on that um, IOT journey. Mikhail, that's a, that's a question for you as well, isn't it, really? Um, the uh, willingness to adopt new technologies and you, you must come across a lot of remote locations where legacy machines are um, installed, I hope. And we do that. <laughs> that's true. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, yeah, we we come across yeah where there is a mix of uh, new new machines and old machines, and all have to be all data has to be collected. Um, that, that's a, that's a big challenge for for the industry for 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 the industry and people who has to put that in place. Uh, that's for sure. Um, that's where you need uh, you need expert, and that's that's basically what we do every every day, trying to find solution for uh, to to connect a new and old system together. Uh, that's uh, that's a big challenge for customers. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. But it works. It takes more time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> time. Well, time. Yeah, is time. Is, so uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thomas, uh, do you want to comment on that, and then then I will finally get to Lena and give her um, give her the uh, the floor. Yeah, in regards to adoption, uh, it's about the people, right? Um, because the transparency that digitalization brings in really helps you also understand uh, what our individuals are doing. A machine operator, uh, you can measure exactly how long his lunch break is. Um, that transparency is not always welcome, so you automatically going to have to some extent resistance in the adoption rate. And just as a practical example, when you are in the maintenance industry, for example, the, the, the person doing the repair, his job security is that something breaks. He can drop whatever he's doing, he runs over, he analyzes the problem, he fixes the machine, brings it up online, and that's his job security. That's then, okay, job well done. 
The challenge then with predictive maintenance is you try to avoid these unexpected uh, failures. And the question then is, you invest a lot of money in technology. What is the payback? Uh, the people that you have to, to work with, they have different interests. Uh, the operations manager wants the savings, the maintenance person wants job security. Um, it's probably also a generational question, right? The younger generation is more open to use all the electronic tools. The old ones probably more fear that this is gonna obsolete them. People factor is absolutely critical. Thank you. Well, we will come back to the people issue. I think there are two, two key issues emerging. I think one is from the panelists themselves who are you know, emphasizing the people issue. So we'll talk about that later. Um, the other one that's emerged is about justifying the spend. So I, I'm going to uh, come back to both of those later on. But without further ado, I will hand over to Lena. Thank you, Andy. And a good morning to everybody again. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, I'm Lena. I'm based in Belgium. And uh, my journey in ERP started about 10 years ago. Um, a lot has changed since then. Eh? So in the recent years, due to COVID and Brexit, uh, many manufacturer companies uh, realized the need to redesign their processes and systems to be more competitive, to survive and to grow. And so when we are talking about adoption of new technology, manufacturers do understand that it's, uh, that it's necessary uh, to involve. Um, and we recently conducted a, a survey uh, in manufacturing companies in, um, in Europe and in the US to find out what the real status of their digital transformation is. And uh, what really surprised us that our key findings show that more than 69% of today's manufacturing leaders are experiencing challenges. That is a lot, that is really awesome, 69%. Um, and the top challenges are limited, um, uh, are limited uh, planning capabilities, limited flexibility in product modifications and changes uh, because of the, the changing customer demands also, and manual processes that are, um, that, um, are time and resource consuming. And uh, that are the three main um, issues. Um, so being able to adapt to change is a priority for achieving growth. However, to achieve that, companies should realize that um, they need a shift in tools and, and processes, and uh, that's inevitable. Um, so business management solutions today, like ERP, uh, like priority ERP, must be flexible to meet uh, business current and future needs. Um, but as COVID showed us that what the, uh, what, how our company will look like, how the business model will look like in, in two to three years, we don't know yet. Uh, so we can try to, to uh, be ready for change in the future, but we will not know what the future will bring. And that's a big issue today. Uh, and to make sure that, that the businesses can manage with the complexity of the supply chain today to achieve synchronization from an R&D phase uh, from the, the early beginning until the delivery. Um, you can only have that by having 360 degrees visibility in the real time, um, uh, what's happening in real time, what's happening in each work cell. Uh, so not in the silos, but you need to have an overview of what's happening in every work cell inside, but also outside of the organization. Right? Because in the past, we were also always looking um, for automation, for uh, what are we going to do uh, with our company um, here internally, automation and, and um, 
and, and integration of systems. But we also need to keep in mind what what's happening outside of the company, what's happening with the suppliers, how um, do we have enough supply from new goods or raw materials, um, and then the customer demand, which is changing, which is uh, going fast, which is coming in via multiple channels, uh, online, um, via the sales reps, uh, via many different challenges uh, and ways. Um, so, and we believe that the only way of, of having um, a, a full view, um, real-time view on your business is by integrating mobile solutions in the factory itself, uh, on the work floor, where, where people are um, um, monitoring or measuring what they're doing. They add their time, um, they are registered which kind of materials they're using. We can see how many goods are uh, um, ready at the end of this, uh, the cycle. Um, and also people on the road at the field service teams and sales reps, they have access to the full ERP and to all the data to be able to, to do their job well. Um, so we believe that mobile ERP is a cost-effective way to open up the ERP functionalities to the entire workforce. But that's just the beginning because at, we're talking about industry 4.0 and there we talk about connectivity making the factories smarter and more intelligent and converting the factories into smart environments to create a closer cooperation between the business partners like the suppliers, the customers, and also the employees. Mm -hmm. uh, a higher productivity, efficiency, and self-managing production processes where your people, uh, your machines, the equipment you use, the logistical systems behind it, and all the work and process components communicate and cooperate with each other directly uh, on one solid platform and with billions of sensors embedded into the, um, to the environment to collect critical production data. The only thing is that the real challenge of uh, if you have all this data available is to um, exchange, collect, store and analyze all these types of data. And that's where we come in, uh, a modern hyper-connected ERP platform, not just for automation, but really to actual help um, uh, organizations to embed data insights into their business processes. Um, uh, for manufacturers, this means that data can be captured at each stage of the, the um, process to analyze the productivity, to see how efficient are the people, what is the profitability of every um, good you, you um, produce or also uh, on, on um, all the services that you do be, um, um, besides the, the, the production process. Um, and so it means that inefficiency can be spotted and acted upon at the source, at the time that it's actually happening. And then we also see a growing integration of um, artificial intelligence enabled bots in management systems. When I say um, AI um, enabled bots, I mean like uh, with your phone where you can talk to Siri, uh, you talk to your phone. Um, imagine if you could talk to your ERP and say, open a quote for this customer, the, the ERP will ask you, well, do I um, add the discount that you did all the previous and uh, all the previous quotes? So the system will help you in how to um, yeah, handle your customer well. They will have access to the history and we will know how to anticipate on their demand. And if we think, if we go a little bit further about the machine learning based BPM, uh, an ERP system uh, can define business processes according to behavior, uh, behavioral patterns. Like um, uh, um, instead of doing um, defining specific business processes in the implementation project, 
The system will learn what the users are doing and will in turn define the BPM itself. So you don't have to do it yourself. So to conclude, I think the improvement can be realized through data-driven decision-making. Um, it's too important to overlook, but using data to make decisions requires the proper, proper digital, uh, digital foundations are in place, uh, something that many manufacturers today uh, currently lack. So uh, Andy, now I'll give back the floor to you and uh, kick off some questions. This Talking Industry episode is brought to you by Drives and Controls, the number one engineering magazine for automation, power transmission and motion control. Visit drivesandcontrols.com. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned for part two across all podcast apps. Follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.